Hello and welcome to the latest edition of Adrian Goldberg's talk show. This time I'm with the actor and comedian Tom Walker. Tom is the face and the voice of the fictional TV reporter known as Jonathan Pye. To describe him as an internet sensation is not an exaggeration. He's got more than half a million YouTube subscribers. How does that feel? That's all. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's good. I started off as... Um, the first video I ever did got about 100 likes, I think. 100 retweets, so I've just got to say hello. I'm doing another one now. <laughs> so sorry, that was Sean Keaveney walking past. Sean Keaveney of Six Music, whose who show you've just been on. Sorry. Um, yeah, I mean, the, f the first um, video I ever did, I think it got uh, 100 views or something, and I thought that was great because... Uh, because it meant people I didn't know had, had watched it. So, uh, and very quickly, I think the third or fourth one I did got a million hits or something. And then, uh, yeah, it pretty much took off from that. So I've got, yeah, I've got a million followers on Facebook, half a million people on YouTube. Yeah, it's mad. It's crazy. It's an amazingly simple device, isn't it? Because there you are standing in front of a camera and you are the television reporter kind of caught off guard you've you've gone away to the weather or you've gone away to the yeah. the filmed package and there you are telling the camera what you really think yeah I mean that's the conceit I mean it was never meant to be a political thing I would I don't know if you remember the show it'll be all right on the night and it was it was uh, Dennis Norden doing blooper clips as they call it now bloopers which now we're sort of we're used to them you know that that's most you know DVD extras have have the bloopers, the mistakes, you know, the, the corpses. Um, it, you never used to get it, really. It was a real rarity. So once every six months they'd have this programme called It'll Be All Right on the Night with bloopers. And I always remember as a kid, the ones that always, the next day that I would always be talking about in the playground, the ones that made me laugh the most were the newsreaders and the news reporters. Because th there's a more exaggerated version of it there because there's such a prescribed way of doing the news and talking like this and presenting the media. And therefore when suddenly they go, oh, fuck, I've, I've fucked up. Can I swear on this? Um, you know, uh, it, it's more, it's it's because they're so formal, them making a mistake is uh, even better. And there was one particular one, and it's this guy outside somewhere or other, and he signs off, let's assume his name is Jonathan Pye, and he goes, Jonathan Pye, outside the BBC. Pissed off, married, three kids, totally pissed off. And that was the big famous one. So, so th th there's, that's an inspiration. And there's another inspiration behind it. There's Peter Sissons, again, another stalwart of BBC. And there's a YouTube clip of him. He's clearly gone to the sport or the weather and he's just slumped over the news desk and he's watching The Weakest Link. You can hear it in the background. And he just points... Uh, Anne Robinson, he goes, my God, she's even got new tits. And that's it. <laughs> and you just go, coming from Peter Sissons, you go, and, and I think we all relate to Pi by virtue of that, that you have different personas. You've got a professional persona and you've got a personal persona. And the way I always describe it, it's like if you, if you work in an office, say you're, you're a, a big wig in an office, you're a boss in an office, but you take a phone call from your mum, you can switch between, mum, yeah, I'll get the pudding for Sunday, and can we, I need that on my desk now. And you can flip between them really quickly. So I think we all, whatever your politics, I think you can relate to that. So that was always the conceit. What do they really think? What do they really say? And it just so happened that the first two or three I did were political. It was the time when Jeremy Corbyn had just been elected leader, 
and uh, the press just went for him as if to say, you know, basically the first question the press asked was how long has he got? Well, four years later, he's still there. I mean, the Labour Party might be disintegrating around him, but he's still there. And then the next week, a book came out about David Cameron with him having sexual relations with a pig. And I thought, well, that's too juicy not to. And I soon realised that people were tuning in for the politics and that, and that that was what the the, the hook was. So he became... I very quickly became a political satirist without meaning to, really. Just before we started recording as well, you kind of acknowledged that you're not necessarily flavour of the month on the comedy circuit because other comedians view you a bit suspiciously because you're not a straight-up lefty. Well, I am a straight-up lefty. I think that's the problem. As a real real person. As a real person and Jonathan Pye, I am am actually a straight-up lefty and therefore I'm very suspicious of... Uh, many so-called liberals' obsession with identity politics. I think it has its place, but I mean, it's a line in the in the in the new show where I go. Being left-wing used to be a middle-class. Uh, sorry, it used to be a working-class necessity, and now it's a middle-class hobby. You know, it used to be about the class struggle. Now it's about uh, diversity quotas, which have their place. But that means you abandon the working classes, which means they start voting for right-wing populists, um, uh, Brexit, because Brexit uh, represents change. Uh, It's exactly the same choice they were given in the last US election. Hillary, we, we were all stunned, the middle classes, the media elite, the elite, us lot, we were all stunned that they voted for Trump. Well, what, what choice did they have? You had, the, you had Hillary Clinton, this, it basically who thought she had, was entitled to the White House, and she literally ran her campaign on more of the same. Is it, and you look at the Brexit vote, better off in, or take back control, better off in, better off as we are, better off with, you know, well, that's all very well, but if you can't afford oven chips, you're going to vote for change. You're going to smash the system. And that's what we're seeing across the globe. Ten years after a global financial crash, with, with people not seeing a rise in wages, having been told for a decade that they should pay for it, David Cameron coming out saying, we're all in it together. No, they are going to, they're going to want to smash the system up. And unfortunately, it it looks like Brexit is going to cost them more, but I totally understand why they voted that way. By virtue of that, I'm not particularly well-liked within the, within the comedy community because the comedy community... I mean, satire is generally left-wing, taking the piss out of the right, but I, but I, I refuse to be dull and not take the mickey out of the excesses of the liberal left, of the Guardian Easter left, uh, of, of the excesses of identity politics, especially if it means... Um, I mean, you've got comedians writing articles in The Guardian saying anyone that votes differently to me is a racist. Anyone that voted leave was condoning the murder of Joe Cox. No, that's it's a disgraceful way to behave. And it, and it is worthy of, of comment and satire and being aped. But unfortunately, it does mean that I don't have my own TV series on BBC Two. <laughs> <laughs> you talked about the failures of the left in the United States, if we need, we can call it the left, but the, the, the weakness of Hillary Clinton. Left of centre, I suppose. Yeah. Sorry, Shall you really visit? <laughs> can I have a selfie one? Uh, yeah. Go on, Of course you can, can. yeah, go on, mate. Are you good at doing these things? That's not bad, is it? Is that going to be all right? Yeah, go for it. Amazing to meet you. look down there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll press it here. Thank you so there much, you man. Nice to meet you. Have a great day. What a day. What a day. Boris <laughs> just got fucked, didn't he? <laughs> just a bit, man. Just, just a bit. Buddy. <laughs> Thank you so much. No worries.
We were talking um, about that happens. Uh, oh, that's cool. That's <laughs> we were talking about the uh, the moment that, that kind of made you a global phenomenon, which mm-hmm. was your analysis of Trump's victory, but yeah. really an analysis of Hillary Clinton's Hillary's defeat. Hillary's loss. I mean, that was that was uh, that was. I, I, I was sat there with my, my then one-time and long-time co-writer, and, and we were watching this happen. But we just decided. Well, I thought. I thought I've got eight years, four years, possibly eight years. Looks like probably eight years to take the Mickey out of Trump. Why not? Why not find where Hillary went wrong? And where Hillary went wrong was one offering no change whatsoever. And where she went wrong, I mean, you just look at her um, her campaign slogan. His was "Make America Great Again," which is actually a quite inclusive message. I know he is the least inclusive president ever, but it's quite an inclusive message. Hers was "I'm with her," all about her. It's all about her. That is not a message. So why why not have a go at her? I mean, the minute she called half of his supporters a basket of deplorables in my mind that is where she lost the election so what you are basically saying is you don't want their vote and we did it in the brexit vote here the left liberal elite decided that if you were even considering voting leave you're a racist you're a bigot so i don't want to talk to you and if if you don't want to talk to people then you're not going to get their vote and we still are not we still haven't learned from that lesson so anyway i had a i had a pop at her and then suddenly i i in the in the left liberal comedy world i was a right-wing comedian they decided on mass that i was a right-wing comedian i mean i mean that's not just ridiculous it's stupid it's unintelligent it's thick just because i dare to have a go at a woman who lost to donald trump let's not forget how bad she must have been to lose lose to her not everyone, that, and, and because I dared to say things like not everyone that voted for Trump is a racist or an apologist for sexual assault, because they're demonstrably not. And yet if you say that, uh, people think you're an apologist for racism and an apologist for sexual assault. Well, you're more than welcome to think it, but you're not going to persuade anyone with that sort of rhetoric, as proven by the result in <laughs> the, the the referendum and, and the election. It, it, it has surprised me how censorious the, the comedy world is and, and how uh, there is one prescribed view in certain sections of the comedy world, don't get me wrong. If you want to get on telly these days, it, it appears you, you keep your mouth shut and you attack Brexit and that is pretty much it. Well, that to me is um, boring. But like I say, perhaps I, perhaps I should just go down that route because, you know, I've got rent to pay. <laughs> it's strange though, isn't it? You know, comedy went through the period, I certainly grew up through it, and you may, being slightly younger than me, have caught the tail end of it. An era of, you know, quite horrible comedians, of people like Bernard Manning, of people like Roy Chubby Brown, and uh, you're nowhere near those comedians but whether there's some no 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 no, no, i'm i'm absolutely not i've you know i've i've never told a racist homophobic anti-islamic rape joke in my life um i have done jokes about racism homophobia and you know and also the thing is you know he's a character and therefore you you can explore those things because pi can get it wrong sometimes but it it really uh, you know the, the the problem with the left these days and the problem with these comedians these days is they think just because i stand up for free speech they think that i want to get on stage and tell racist homophobic anti-islamic rape jokes all night i don't but also 
like you say, that was then. I don't know any comedians that do that now. There are, you know, if you went to Jonglers, all right, there's probably, or some working men's club, there probably are those comics still working, but they're certainly not working on television. They're certainly not selling out tours like I am. It is a deliberate misrepresentation. Uh, uh, um, one of the things that you, you touch on, uh, and, and you've touched on this more than once in, in your various monologues, is touching on so much of the progress that has been made in terms of gender issues, mm -hmm. in terms of fighting back against homophobia. Uh, you're obviously not naive enough to think that those battles have all been won, but no. uh, so much of gender politics, it seems to me, you're suggesting ignores the massive advances that we've made as a society. I think they do. I mean, I read something in, I think it was in Vogue uh, a year or so ago, and I did do it, it was in one of my pieces, where they said that, you know, the Me Too movement... People who are backing the Me Too movement are braver than the suffragettes. You're writing a fucking hashtag. You're writing a fucking hashtag. You are not diving in front of a horse for the emancipation of women. Grow the fuck up, um, would be my opinion. No, that, that, that is not to suggest the Me Too movement is a, is a terrible thing, but please have some, have some perspective there. I also think, you know, with, with this idea that uh, the gender pay gap is there, there I mean that that is certainly massively misrepresented Pe women do not get paid less than men for the same work and if they did you can take your employer to court and you will win that is the truth and also the idea that we we judge inequality by comparing Chris Evans and Zoe Ball's wages that is not a reflection on inequality in this a reflection on inequality is the amount of people sleeping on the street that is a representation or inequality and yet we're obsessed with with these kind of myths i mean i'm, I'm told all the time I'm, I'm reminded all the time of my straight white male privilege um you know and and i am generally i'm called out about my straight white male privilege by privately educated guardian readers go fuck yourself go fuck yourself sorry you don't, you don't get to lecture me on privilege um, I didn't think you were going to be quite as angry as Jonathan Pye, <laughs> but you are. Uh, uh, one word that you identify as well that is particularly noxious and is used all the time in political debate at the moment in the UK is the word Nazi. Yeah, I mean, I've, done, I, I've been uh, called that a lot, mainly by comedians. A Nazi. How dare they? How dare they? But it's sort of... But actually, when they come out with that, then you just know that they haven't got a clue what they're talking about. Nazi apologist, I get that a lot. I did a thing about this guy called Marcus Meachin who, who taught his pug dog to do a Nazi salute. He was investigated for two years by the police and they found absolutely no connection with him and, and far-right uh, people. Unfortunately, he's now joined UKIP, which kind of sort of slightly sullies the, uh, sullies the argument. But basically, because I, you know, uh, basically he... he it's demonstrably a joke. He was found guilty by the Scottish courts because the Scottish courts ruled that uh, context and uh, that context wasn't. You didn't have to take into account context, which to me is just ridiculous. Anyway, yeah, all the comedians came out and called me a, a Nazi apologist. Uh, it's, it's preposterous, but yeah, no, it happens all the time. Not a Nazi. That's the, no, 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 no. Even people. I mean, listen, people think that anyone that votes for the Brexit party or voted UKIP or voted Leave they're Nazis I mean it's just a complete complete misunderstanding of one what a Nazi is and what leaving the EU means <laughs> do you know what I mean and don't get me wrong you know I'm I'm, I'm, I'm sad that we're leaving the EU I, I, I don't I wish we hadn't voted that way I think it is a mistake but I'm not going to call people that vote differently to me a Nazi I'm not going to that, that's what it is it's the assumption of motive behind someone's 
reason for voting differently to you. It's as ridiculous as assuming everyone that votes the same as you has the same motive. Do you know what I mean? Um, we all vote for different reasons. Generally, we vote selfishly. Generally, you kind of go, will I be better off? A lot of people vote selfishly. and It's, a re it's as reasonable uh, reason as any. You go, will I be better off under that government or that government? Well, that is the thing that will make me decide. I'll be £100 better off you know, under the Tories, you know, when, when Uncle Harry dies, uh, you know, he, 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 the inheritance tax won't be so much. Well, under Labour, I'll be, I'll have, do you know what I mean? Um, uh, so I just think it's, I think we're in a stage where politics has become so polarised that we assume that anyone that votes differently to us is evil. I struggle sometimes to understand why anyone would be voting for Boris Johnson in the next election. But they definitely have their reasons, uh, and and I want to know what those reasons are. If, unless you if you don't under if you're unwilling to find out the reasons, and you're just willing to just call everyone a Nazi that you disagree with, then you're never going to be able to be in a position to persuade them to vote otherwise. And that's how you lose elections. You know, you've been doing this for three years now. Okay. Uh, do you know? I think it's probably four years now, almost to the day. Uh, oddly enough, yeah, about four years. Yeah. What difference has that made to your life and your career, Tom? Oh, it's changed my world. And it's been a struggle sometimes to sort of, one, take that abuse from, from my peers. Uh, but, you know, financially I am in... You know, I mean, that's the thing. I was struggling. I was really struggling. This, this was a move out of desperation. I decided to give up acting because I had no money. I had no future. I had no... Uh, I had no there was no, nothing solid in my life, you know. So I decided to give up acting. But when you give when you decide to make that change the jeopardy's gone so I thought I had, I'd had this character in my head for a while I thought I'm just going to do something just go out with a just almost to prove everyone wrong everyone had been saying do you create, create your own work so I just thought alright I'll do it and I'll show you and actually the minute I did it the minute something happened so you wow, know so that I mean Jonathan Pye was your last throw of the dice as with, a, uh, undoubtedly I had made the decision roughly about this time four years ago. You go, I'm going to give it till Christmas. If nothing comes up, come January, I'm going to give my agent a ring and go, that's it, it's over. And I don't know, I don't know what train to be a teacher. That's what most people do, isn't it? No, no offence to, um, uh, you know, vocational um, teachers. So it was the last roll of the dice. And, and by virtue of that as well, when, when one of those uh, films got a, a million hits, I, I realised, I recognised it for the opportunity that it was. Um, and I went for it. And four years later, I'm about to tour the country for the third time, two nights at the Hammersmith Apollo. Let's be honest, as an actor, the best I could have hoped for was, you know, spear carrier at the back at the RSC if I was really lucky. So, I mean, I've played some of the greatest theatres in the country on my own. And people are, you know, paying their hard-earned cash to come and see me. And, and it's... You know, and I, I've learned. I've learned how to become a writer. I've learned how to become a comedian. I've I've had to learn a lot about politics, and I'm finding my feet now. I mean, this last tour that I've, I'm written now, it's been the hardest thing I've ever had to write, and yet it's my proudest piece of work. This is and fake news. The fake news tour, and it's a, it's a person. I mean, obviously, it's about the character, but I've put my heart and soul into it. So it's about me as well, I suppose. It's pie looking back over the last four years of Westminster and the last four years of his career. And by virtue of that, I've been able to marry in my own personal experiences as well. And I'm hoping that there is a phrase out there called the, the toughest nuts to crack are the sweetest. I don't know if that is a <laughs> phrase at all, but, I, but I'm now that it's ready to go, I'm so proud of this piece of work and I can't wait to show it to people. So uh, what the future holds for Pi, I don't know. But I mean, I've got to get through this tour. Um, but it's been an incredible four years.
And an incredible four years to suddenly find yourself a political satirist. I mean, we've gone through three prime ministers. Uh, Trump is in, Donald J. Trump is in the White House. We're leaving the EU, or maybe not. This very day that we're having this interview, Boris Johnson has been found to have lied to the Queen and broken the law. I mean, it's, it's a mad time to be in the world of politics, you know. Good time for a satirist. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. The, the worse the world gets, the better my career does. It's... <laughs> Tom, really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Thank you very much.